This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Monday, July 13th, 2020. I'm Caleb Brown. China increasingly looms large as an election issue for 2020, and it appears that Joe Biden and Donald Trump are trying to outflex each other to the extent possible. But even given China's horrific ongoing human rights abuses and broken promises to places like Hong Kong, is belligerence really the best strategy? Cato's Eric Gomez and John Glazer comment. China has exerted uh, a lot more authority over Hong Kong, uh, especially in the last few months. And uh, Great Britain's response has been essentially to make a grand offer to Hong Kongers come here, be citizens here. Um, as in terms of strategy, is that a is that a good move or a bad move? I think it's a really great move. And the issue with America's approach to China is that I think we have this, we we like the pendulum, right? And I think it swings between engagement and confrontation. And right now it's in the transition where it's swinging away from engagement and towards confrontation. And as part of that, there's a lot of suspicion in the United States about Chinese students, uh, Chinese researchers. There's an effort to kind of uh, sort of wall them off from uh, things that we deem sensitive. And I think that is entirely the wrong approach. And part of it's just, the Trump administration and their general view about things like immigration and, and foreigners. But, you know, if the U.S., a good way for the U.S. to lead by example in the world is to sort of follow what Britain is doing and say, open our doors up, open our borders up to people seeking political asylum, to people who want to escape bad situations. And it might not be as cathartic as just slapping a sanction on the Chinese or, or instituting a new tariff or something on them. But in terms of making the United States look good and also living up to libertarian principles, I think it's the right way to go. And it also uh, sends a very clear signal that the United States wants to be a friend of people in China uh, and simultaneously oppose uh, the regime. Right. And it's also completely uh, contingent on regime behavior because you can say, look, we're going to offer this asylum, but say, if the law changes. And if China adheres to its promises made when, when it was, when Hong Kong returned to Chinese sovereignty, where they said, you know, we would promote, we would allow the one country, two systems model. We'd allow separate political systems within Hong Kong, even though it'd be part of China, then that's fine, right? That like, that's what the U S expects that what China agreed to do. And if it returns to its word, then we can undo the the policy and so give them an option to 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 sort of come to their senses if joe biden were to wake up tomorrow uh a born again realist uh on foreign policy uh, or even better a, a libertarian realist on foreign policy what would uh what would be the first uh offer that he ought to make to specifically the regime to begin this transition away from this fighting and uh, more into engagement. And that's not, none of this I hope is to say, suggest that the, the concerns that, that we have with China, with intellectual property, with uh, espionage and spying and things like that, those are real concerns. But uh, if, if Joe Biden were to wake up tomorrow and say, let's, let's talk, what would that look like? So on the, on the first, on the first hand, I think, uh, a lot of people are looking for a simple deal or a treaty 
or some kind of arrangement that will solve all the problems that we have with China. And that's uh, that might be true in some other policy areas uh, where you just need a piece of legislation to resolve a problem. But in international politics, you're dealing with global anarchy and states who are building up their militaries. And so there's not a final solution. It's more like we have to manage this relationship. And part of the important way you need to do that is to try to see the world through the strategic lens of China. So China sees the United States as basically militarily surrounding it. Um, we're the guarantor of the status quo in Taiwan, which is obviously very frustrating to them. Um, we kind of throw our weight around in the South China Sea to China to challenge China's power there. And, you know, of course, in the past few years, especially, there's been a lot of harsh rhetoric, um, you know, suggesting that the Chinese regime is illegitimate, that we have to do something to change their internal system, that we should decouple our economies, lots of harsh threats. I think what that tends to do is make the Chinese more fearful and see it makes them see us as more of a threat. And that makes cooperation and engagement much harder. So I think you've got to find ways to reassure China that we can cooperate in certain areas. And in some other areas, we're going to have conflicts, and that's going to be something we have to manage. But um, this is a long-term project of managing the relationship between these two powers, and there is not sort of one final answer. And to add on that, I'm almost not sure the best way to kind of to take things in a different direction is to even talk to the Chinese first at all. Um, there's certainly, I, I, because part of, part of the problems in the relationship today are on U.S. responses, but also a lot of the problems are from Chinese actions as well. And so I think that engagement with China, part of it's going to have to involve figuring out, like John said, where, where can we work together? Where can we not? Um, I'd, I'd almost rather prefer Biden reaching out to other countries in Asia. Um, I know that alliances sometimes can be a little bit stifling for U.S. policy, but um, in if it comes, you know, to the U.S.-China relationship, a big part of that's going to also include other countries in the region, countries that we are allies with and countries that we aren't. And we just haven't really been very present. Like the the military posture has led our China approach in so many ways that other countries in the region don't see a very positive choice between them. Uh, they either have China, which is the sort of the permanent person in the neighborhood. Uh, it's not going anywhere, but they're doing some things that the countries don't like. And you have the U.S., which is far away, but then is also trying to make things so zero sum. And we really just don't have good diplomacy anymore. Um, so I so I think like trying to engage other countries and figure out what what are we striving towards? What the heck is what what are our goals? Can we set reasonable expectations? is going to also be an important step here for just figuring out how to go forward. I think the confidence that people have in the US government's ability to perfectly balance a mixture of carrots and sticks with China, I think is misplaced. I don't have that confidence. I think if you look at the past 30 years of US foreign policy, it should be rather clear that that's gonna be very difficult to get that balance just right. Um, and there's all kinds of unintended consequences and unforeseen reactions that you can spur if you, say, use carrots, use sticks too much, and you start to shrink the areas where carrots will even be useful. Uh, and so, 
you know, it's easy enough to call for that clever mix of carrots and sticks, but calibrating it just right is is very hard and even harder when, in my opinion, most of Washington has a, has a, misunderstands what China is trying to do in its foreign policy. Um, you know, I think they're not uh, on a crusade to change the international system and their image or to change the domestic situations in other countries. There's still primarily concern with domestic security and legitimacy. Um, and because we're very insulated from threats and basically happy with the status quo, and because China's not on a determined campaign to conquer other countries or you know, revise the international order, I don't think we need to launch a crusade of our own here. Our strategy should basically be about war avoidance and managing the relationship in, in a way that, that, that is in U.S. interest. The elephant in the room seems to be the China's treatment of the minority Muslim population known as the Uyghurs. And uh, almost every story that I see about that, it just brings a new level of uh, mistreatment, uh, and and frankly, these are just pinholes of uh, information that that the U.S. knows about about it. How have how has the administration handled it? Handled it, and uh, how on earth does the United States respond to this kind of uh, mistreatment of a million or more people uh, without threatening something uh, a more direct and uh, hostile engagement? I think this is one of these areas, like I mentioned earlier, where a, a kind of U.S. pull factor becomes important. Um, so I think that any kind of effective response is going to have to recognize that our ability to force or coerce China into stopping what it's doing is probably very limited. They see this as internal stability and, and legitimacy. They're going to if you try to put costs on them to do it in an effort to coerce them to stop, it's probably not going to work out because they'll eat the cost and say, that's fine, it's worth it. So I think in this regard, it mostly comes down to having a immigration policy that allows people to who escape from that region to come here. Um, it involves changing aspects of U.S. domestic and foreign policy as well to do criminal justice reform. And this is part of, um, I think when discussions of grand strategy happen, we usually focus on the foreign policy aspects for good reason. Um, but I think that domestic politics also play a big role here. And it's very easy for China. I heard it myself when I was, I was in Beijing in January. Um, and I heard when this topic came up, the Chinese side at this dialogue I was attending say, Oh, but you guys and like look at how you treat your racial minorities. Look at how you have treated the Muslim world with the attacks against like Iraq and Afghanistan, and and it's a very frustrating answer to hear because you know as an American I want to be like no well, we're different or we're you know but it's something that there's a grain of truth there, and I think that if the United States really wants to have more effective policies on human rights issues and freedom around the world, we have to walk the talk. We have to change things about how we do stuff at home to make ourselves less of a you know police state or what have you. And we have to do things abroad, like not supporting countries like the Saudis, not supporting conflicts against uh, Muslims in the Middle East, and then 
when we say this is what China is doing is wrong and it ought to stop, then you can't have those sort of double standards uh, arguments lobbed against you. And because part of the double standard argument is there's truth in it. The only thing I'd add is that there remains much wisdom in John Quincy Adams's statement that America abstains from interference in the concerns of others, even when conflict has been for principles to which she claims. I hope, just like everybody else hopes, for um, the protection of human rights in China. Uh, but I'm skeptical that the U.S. government has the tools and the leverage to improve their situation, unfortunately. Eric Gomez directs defense policy studies at the Cato Institute, where John Glazer directs foreign policy studies. Subscribe to the Cato Daily Podcast wherever you please, and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast.